Hey, have you ever been deceived? (laughs) I suppose we all have. I'm no athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but I do like to get out and run fairly regularly. And we have a special running chair for the bear, and so that's an activity that he and I can, can do together. And one thing I like about running is it doesn't require a lot of equipment. Although I have learned this, you have to buy good shoes. You have to buy good shoes, and you have to... You have to replace them about every 500 miles or so. And so for many years, I could find find good deals on the the closeout models. And it certainly didn't matter to me if I had the the latest version. So you could usually get a a pair of closeouts for about 60 bucks. And and that was a whole lot better than the hundred-plus dollars you would have to pay for for the newest version. Well, then during COVID, I'm not sure why this happened, but for, for some reason it was harder to find those closeout models. And, and there's just something about paying full price for an item that's going to give you pain. That, that just doesn't sit well with me. Well, anyway, one night about a month ago or so, an ad popped up on Facebook from a company claiming to have a sale on Brooks brand running shoes at the closeout price of $20 a pair. That's right. I, I, I've never found them online that cheap before. It, it looked authentic. And I think in my heart, I wanted it to be authentic. I, I wanted that to be true. So I not only bought one pair, I bought three pairs. That's right. I did. I thought that's going to get me through a couple of years of running right there. Well, the good news is the company accepted my credit card payment right away. (laughs) So whoever was running this, they had that part of the transaction down to a science. You know what the bad news was? I never, never received my my shoes. I know. Thank you for... (laughs) Thank you for that expression of pain. And I'm trying to be reimbursed through my credit card company and all that. But here's the bottom line. Sure looks like I fell for that. And it looks like I was deceived. Now, Now, that's one kind of bad, right? When somebody takes advantage of you financially or that I was gullible enough to, to let that happen. But what's far worse than that? It's when somebody tries to deceive you doctrinally. Uh, I'm talking about the scourge of false teaching. And that's the subject to which the Apostle Peter is now going to turn his attention. So with that in mind, let me invite you to open your Bible this morning to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, that's on page 183 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. So 2 Peter chapter 2 or page 183 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Our theme this year is hope for everyday life. And this fall we're doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of 2 Peter entitled Growing in Grace and Knowledge. And that title is taken from the very last verse in this book. It's a delightful verse. It's certainly one worthy of committing to memory, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Think about who wrote that. Uh, The Apostle Peter, at the end of his life, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, as it turns out as we read the book, that there are many different ways that followers of Jesus Christ can and, and need to grow in grace and knowledge. So in the first chapter, 
there was an emphasis on rejoicing in the beauty and the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you may remember, he, he addressed the book to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours. Now, follow this carefully. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's not by a righteousness that you would own. It's by His righteousness, given freely as a gift and then imputed or, or credited to your account the moment that you repent and believe. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you've not yet done that, and we would invite you to do that. We would, we would urge you to do that because if we're going to be talking about false teaching, you desperately need the Holy Spirit of God resident inside of you as one of the means to be able to recognize false teaching. And that is one of the benefits of becoming a Christian, is receiving the, the Holy Spirit the moment you believe. And But Peter started, if you're going to talk about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he started by this rehearsal of the gospel. And Peter says, it doesn't matter how many times you've heard that. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling. Remember, it's likely he's about to die to stir you up by way of reminder knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you'll also be able to call these things to mind. So, apparently, one of the ways to grow in grace and knowledge is to remind ourselves and rejoice in over and over and over about the beauty and the power of the gospel Chapter 1 also emphasized the issue of the sufficiency of the Scripture. So Peter said, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life, aren't you glad for that? Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And then he carried that theme throughout the remainder of chapter 1 until the climax where he affirmed this, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but but men moved by the Holy Spirit. They did what? They spoke from God. There's another strong reason why we can have hope for growing in grace and knowledge. It's because God has given us in His Word all we need for life and godliness, and the form in which it's been delivered is absolutely reliable. So, So I think... As you kind of land the plane on chapter 1, you would say, wow, that's very, very positive, delightfully so. But (laughs) there's always a but, isn't there? Because now chapter 2 is going to focus on the other side of the equation. It's not just a matter of benefiting from what is true, but it's also learning to recognize and avoid what is false. Look at 2 Peter 2, and we're only going to look at three verses this morning, but I want to encourage you to follow the logic very, very carefully. There's so much important truth right here. But, but, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1, false prophets also arose among the people. Now, now follow this, just as there will also be false teachers among you. That's two different groups. The, the false prophets arose among the people. We have to figure out what people. Just as there will also be false teachers among you who will... Now, what are these false teachers like? They'll secretly introduce destructive heresies, 
even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Regrettably, it gets worse. Many, many will follow that. See, it's one thing for somebody to try to say they're going to sell you $20 shoes. It's something else for you to foolishly believe it, right? I know. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, what happens? The way of the truth will be maligned. And in their, their greed, oh, that's true, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We're talking this morning about discerning false teaching. And with the time we have remaining, let's think about three necessary actions to, to guard against being spiritually deceived. You want to guard against that, don't you? There's some very important truth right here in these verses to help us do exactly that. First of all, be aware of the reality of false teachers. I tried to point out that the word but at the beginning of chapter 2 singles a very clear shift in logic from what Peter's been discussing in chapter 1. In fact, it really is about as clear a contrast as we could imagine. Because at the end of the chapter, chapter 1, that discussed reliable prophets who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and therefore they could be trusted, Peter said in verse 21, as they were reliable prophets who were were speaking from God. And Pastor Green explained last week, that's referring to the process of inspiration. Uh, Our Bibles are inspired, and Paul talked about that in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable. You can't say that about any other book ever. Inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. The word inspire is the Greek word theopneustos. Theos, God, neustos, breath or breathed. That's what our Bibles are. It's breathed out by God. That was and is an incredible gift from God to the church, that that we would have a body of truth that's 100% reliable. And that's why, by the way, the Apostle Paul could refer to people like us, the church, with three fascinating phrases. We're the household of God. We're the family. Praise God for that. Which is the church of the living God. Praise God for that. But we're also what? We are the the pillar and the support of the truth. Well, whose truth? God's truth. And where did we get it? We got it from His inspired Word. That's why Jude could speak about the faith that was once and for all handed down to us. That once and for all handed down to the saints. Well, thank the Lord for reliable prophets who were used by God to record His Word. And all that's great. It is great. Till we get to the but. Uh, Verse 1, but, but false prophets. Now, what was that intended to do? What impact was that intended to have on on the original readers? And and what impact is it intended to have have on us to to grab our attention? Beware of the the, the reality of false teachers. And why should we be aware of them according to the rest of the verse? Well, because of their history in the Old Testament. See, when Peter said, and this is why I'm For one reason, I'm glad we're only going through three verses because we have to be very careful as we follow through what's being said here. False prophets also arose uh, among the people. You have to ask, what people? Well, we believe he was looking back at this point. 
to the regrettable role that false teaching has always played in the economy of God. Beginning with whom? Well, beginning with our adversary, the devil, he is the the father of lies. He is the initial false prophet. In fact, his very interaction with Adam and Eve was to tempt them to adopt false teaching. You remember? And now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said? See, he's introducing false prophecy to contradict what God had already said. And a few verses later in that conversation, he told Eve, you remember, you won't surely, what? You won't surely die. Some of the falsest teaching that has ever been proposed to anybody in the human race. And unfortunately, how did that test go? When Adam and Eve had to decide, would they believe what was true or would would they believe what was false? I wonder Peter would want his readers and us to be aware of the reality of false teaching. It was also an issue in the nation of Israel's earliest days. For example, Deuteronomy 13.5, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he's counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from among you. Pretty amazing when you think about it. That that even as Moses is involved in the initial organization of the nation of Israel, he's preparing them to enter into the promised land already, already. The, The threat of false teachers is a real and present danger. Now, I'm skipping all sorts of examples for, for sake of time, but, but, but this same issue came into focus very prominently just prior to the 70-year captivity of the children of Israel in Babylon because God had told them that captivity was going to last how long? 70 years. In fact, He told them that even in the book of Deuteronomy. He gave the truth of what was going to happen, but there were some false prophets. And they rose up and said, what? Oh, no, it's only going to last two years. See, that's something about false prophets. They become popular in part because they tell people what they want to hear. You can have some running shoes for 20 bucks, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. And one of those men, one of the two-year guys, his name was Hananiah. Here's what happened. Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, thus says the Lord, Even so will I break within two full years. And he said, God's saying this. Even so will I break within two full years the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations. So you had the prophets like Jeremiah saying, no, it's going to be 70 years. Or you've got Hananiah who says, no, it's going to be two. Well, no, that was false prophecy. And by the way, what did happen to Hananiah? In case you're contemplating a career in false prophecy, <laughs> you, you took one of those surveys at the schoolhouse, and here's what I like, here's what I, and, and it popped up, false prophet. You, you would be a good false prophet. Well, you might want to think about this guy right here. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah the prophet, listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. You've made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, here, here's a prophecy for you. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. (laughs) This year you're going to die because you've counseled rebellion against the Lord. What do you think happened? 
So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year in the seventh month. See, Peter was right. That's the point of all this. Peter was right. False prophets had also arose among the people historically. It was also a problem during the time of Christ. Some of Jesus' strongest rebukes were against who? People who were lying to the people of God. So, for example, Mark 12, 38, in his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in log robes. They like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. Who, here's what they do. They devour widows' houses. And for appearance sake, they offer long prayers. Long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. See, those are the kinds of instances Peter had in mind when he said that false prophets arose among the people. We, we ought to be aware of this reality. It's always been the case. Now, by the way, you might say, why did the Lord allow it? This would not have happened, none of it that we talked about so far, had not the Lord allowed it. Well, one hint, I think, comes in the book of 1 Corinthians when Paul says, for there must always be, there must also be factions among you. Thanks a lot. There must also be factions among you. Why? So that those who are approved may become evident among you. See, see, false teaching gives you an opportunity in the power of the Holy Spirit of God to stretch your theological muscles. Did you know you had them? You better have them. And, and false teaching does give all of us an opportunity to stretch our theological muscles to determine what you believe the Word of God says is true. And that happened throughout the Old Testament. It happened in the life of Christ, but it doesn't stop there. This isn't a history lesson. Because Peter goes on to say we ought to be aware because of the present reality in the church. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. And you know that had to break Peter's heart. Peter loved the church. He was the one in Matthew 16 that Jesus had chosen to reveal that, that he, Christ, was going to want was going to build the church. And Peter had been part of that exciting endeavor being started throughout the book of Acts. And imagine how it would impact him at the end of his life to have to say false teaching wasn't just something that plagued Old Testament Israel. It's potentially alive and well among you. And please notice the, the, the level of certainty here. He didn't say there might be, did he? No, he says there will be. Chew on that. There will be. Well, what does he say they will do? They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. You see the, the sinister nature of all this? And it can happen here. In fact, it has happened here. A number of years ago, I was seeking to lead our church to make some changes in our philosophy of music and worship. So we took an entire summer and taught what the Word of God says about all that. And honestly, not everybody liked what was being said, which is fine. I want to be sure that I say that. That's fine. In fact, the Scripture calls upon followers of Jesus Christ to be Bereans. You may remember Acts 17 where Luke made this observation about the people in Berea 
regarding the way they were responding to Paul's teaching. Now, these, the Bereans, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, that's good, but then they examined the Scriptures daily regarding Paul's teaching to see whether those things were so. There's nothing wrong with somebody disagreeing with what I or one of our pastors is saying. But friends, there are right ways to handle disagreements and there are wrong ways. So one week I was out traveling representing the church somewhere and I arrived back in town to find out that a couple of people had been distributing a book about music and worship that was purposely contradicting what I was teaching. And it was done in the dark of night. It was done behind my back, and there's not a nice way to say that. And as it turned out, the book was filled with bad theology. It just was, including the suggestion that if a piece of music tempted you to respond physically in any way, including tapping your foot, that music was evil and should, be not, should not be used in the church. That's Greek dualism. That's not a biblical view of the body or of Christian worship. And it would be one thing if somebody came in the light of day to have a reasoned conversation about their questions or concern. But unfortunately, do you see in this text, the word secretly is a very important part of this discussion. No wonder Peter wants the people of God to be aware of all of this. And I realize you might say, Steve, why did you, you could have told a hundred stories, why did you tell that one? Well, here's why. Because I believe it would be a mistake for us to think that what Peter is discussing in this package, passage could never impact us here. Now, notice their extent who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Remember, Peter had introduced himself at the beginning of the book as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Well, false teachers suggest you can be a Christian without acknowledging Jesus as the rightful Lord of your life, denying the the master, denying the master. That's, That's heresy. Defined as an opinion, especially a self-willed opinion, which is substituted for submission to the power of truth and leads to division and the formation of sex. So, so, so what's Peter arguing for here? I mean, how, how did he want this information? I, I know it's heavy. I know it's heavy. But, but how did he want this information to affect his readers? And I think more importantly, how does the Lord want this information to affect us? And the answer, in part, has to be that we would grow in discernment as individuals and as a church, that we would grow in caution, in a level of carefulness about who and what we're listening to. Well, that leads to an obvious question, doesn't it, for all of us? How aware are you? How diligent are you? How cautious are you about the potential presence of false teaching in your life? Now, now, Peter goes on to say, be concerned about the response to false teaching. Verse 2 reports the unfortunate reality that that many will follow their sensuality. See, it's like the Garden of Eden. It's one thing for Satan to offer false counsel to Adam and Eve that's something entirely different than Adam and Eve actually listen. And please notice what Peter highlights about these false teachers. I, I can't say this strongly enough. 
it appeals to a person's sensuality. See, either God made our bodies, and because He's the master, He decides how we use them, and because we're the bondservants, we joyfully submit to the prophetic word handed down to us by reliable prophets moved by the Holy Spirit of God. Either that's true, or our bodies simply evolved. So there's no ultimate authority outside ourselves, so our feelings determine reality, and we decide what's right for our individualistic prophetic selves. See, see, many will follow their sensuality. Friends, that reality ought to take our breath away. It also has Romans 1 mapped all over it. Do you remember what Paul said about this? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they're without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. They listened to false prophecy, and they became false prophets. Do you realize you could become a false prophet, and you could be speaking false ideas to yourselves? They became futile in their speculations, and their, their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity, so that they're what? Here's the sensuality aspect of this, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, instead of rejecting false teaching, they actually accepted it. Now, if you'd like to do more study on this subject, I want to encourage you to consider a couple of books that have been written by Professor Carl Truman. One's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. You might want to consider reading that book. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that's a hard book to read. That is a hard book to read. But if you would like a summary of it, um, the Nine Marks website, and Nine Marks is Capital Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., Pastor Mark Dever, very, very reliable ministry. They actually, on that website, have a summary of this book that you could read in a couple of minutes. And I think you would find that to be very, very helpful now, I, I've been told, I, I read this somewhere, that some of Professor Truman's friends gave him a hard time about the first book he wrote. They said, Carl, why don't you write a book that somebody can understand? And, and so he wrote a, a second version, and I, I don't like to use the phrase dumbed down, but simplified, maybe that's a better way of saying it, entitled Strange New World. That's, that would be a, an excellent book to read. And, and also, if you'd say, well, is there a summary of that? Also on the Nine Marks website, a summary of the summary. And that's okay. That, that, that's okay. Um, but there is a summary of that book on the Nine Marks website that I think you would find helpful as well. There's also a summary of this book, Strange New World, on the Gospel Coalition's website, a review written by Shane Morris. Let me just read a little bit about our, from that particular um, article. He said, you're not crazy for feeling disoriented right now. 
Something has changed dramatically in our society. Watching a man win a woman's swimming championship, seeing a satire account banned from Twitter for referring to a male public official as a man, and hearing a Supreme Court nominee refuse to define woman in her confirmation hearings, it's all strange. (laughs) I mean, it's very strange, and it raises the urgent questions of how we got to this point and why it seems to have happened so quickly. And then he went on to observe this, millions of our neighbors now believe that human beings can sculpt themselves into whatever they desire, if necessary, through hormones, surgery, and legislation. What is that? That, That's false prophecy. That's false teaching. And part of the challenge in our culture now is, if you stand up to that, you're viewed as what? You stand up to any of that, you're, you're viewed as the bad guy. But friends, if we don't stand up to that, what just happened? Do you realize we could find ourselves right in the middle of 2 Peter 2, 2, many will follow their their sensuality. God protect us from that. God deliver us from that. Peter goes on to say the way of truth will be maligned. Now, again, let's try to make this as practical and applicable as we can to where we live. I want to ask you a question. It's not a pleasant question. We'll have a nice pastor preach next Sunday, okay, but I'll be off somewhere else. But I just want to ask you, how could that happen here? How could that happen here? And, you know, the answers to that question are practically endless. If you thought about it long enough, it could be frightening. And maybe that's in part the effect Peter wanted these words to have on his readers. How could that happen here? One answer is through our school. And I'm a strong supporter of Christian education in general and of our school in particular. But we must stand firm and vigilant in our protection and promotion of a distinctively Christian philosophy of education. And that is a hundred times more important than how the band sounds or how the soccer team played. Although a rightly articulated Christian philosophy of education can and should result in excellence in the way the trumpet player plays and the soccer player kicks. But but let's just remind ourselves of this. Educational philosophy is a potential doorway for false teaching. And if that happens, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ could be maligned. Another answer is through the door of our counseling ministry. And God has given us somewhat of a a leadership position in the counseling world that can be good, but it could be dangerous. It'd be wise for all of us to remind ourselves from time to time of what Warren Wiersbe said quite a few years ago now in his book, The Integrity Crisis. And I'm paraphrasing now, but his essential point was Pastors and churches make a big mistake when we start believing our own press clippings. Here's what I mean by that. When when you mix pride with a lust for approval, that is a very dangerous brew. So if we want people to think that we're smart or that we're intelligent or that we're well-reasoned or we're avant-garde, Here's what that can eventually look like. Let me tell you something new. 
Let me give you a novel insight into the Christian life that's never been considered before, or at least has never been heard around here. You may recall this description by the Apostle Paul of the end times, where mankind was always learning and never able to, a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas, to come to the knowledge of the truth. That reminds us of Luke's observation in Acts 17. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than what? Telling or hearing something new. So what does that have to do with counseling? A lot. It's amazing how many new counseling philosophies are developed by the world, and some in the church want to take those worldly philosophies and try to wed them with Scripture in ways where, regrettably, the truth of God's Word is maligned. Here's a recent example. Have you heard of this book and this author, Basil van der Kolk, that the body keeps the score? I'd be surprised if you had not heard this book or if you've not been impacted in some way by this emphasis in culture. The thesis of the book is this, the body keeps the score if the memory of trauma is encoded in the viscera, your gut, your inner organs, in heartbreaking and gut-wrenching emotions and autoimmune disorders and skeletal muscular problems. And if Your mind, brain, visceral communication is the royal road to emotion regulation. This demands a radical shift in our therapeutic assumptions. And his argument is this. Your physical body can cause immaterial responses. Just chew on that for a minute because that's the crux of this. Your physical body can cause immaterial responses. Therefore, certain things have happened to you in your past and that's triggered in some... Everybody wants to talk about triggers, right? If that's triggered in some way, then here it is. Your body is determinative. And so now we have a whole bunch of people in the biblical counseling world who are asking the question, are you trauma-informed? Do you do trauma-informed counseling? We're being asked that now on a regular basis. That places us in somewhat of a dilemma because the Bible's filled with stories of people who've been traumatized. And many of the people with whom we have the privilege of working would say that they've been traumatized. You understand, when somebody comes for counseling, they're not saying, I'm coming to report that everything's been going well. So so in that sense, we are trauma-informed, but not in the sense that we've adopted all the conclusions of Basil van der Kolk. Why? Because we believe that the most important aspect of any human being is the condition of our soul of our heart, of our our inner person. And if you would like to study that further, I would encourage you. You see that little QR code thing? You can actually point your phone at that right now, and it'll take you to a link to that paper. That's amazing. You can do it right. I actually tried that um, in my office, and I'm not the most technologically astute person in the world, but I actually got it to work myself. And you want to do it right now, you can. I'm just going to assume you're taking pictures of your pastor. Well, uh, (laughs) speaking of... Of pride, but that's a great paper by a gentleman named Greg Gifford. Very understandable. If you want to understand what I'm talking about right now, about the body keeps the score, he's a professor at Masters University out in, in California. And here's just one of his concluding statements. He said, The body is a complex gift to man that provides life, functioning health, and other contributions to mankind's existence. The soul is that of utmost value, and it's the soul that will never cease to exist. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? It's the author's conclusion, as has been demonstrated, that the body, this is very important, the body only causes physical responses and can only influence immaterial responses. Of note, the body never causes immaterial responses. It's not determinative. In this way, the body does not keep the score. The soul does. Amen, 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 and amen. And the point is, if we run to this new emphasis in the world so that people will view our counseling as being intelligent, or, or cutting edge, or, or avant-garde, we very well may have adopted a theory that overemphasizes the role of the body and de-emphasizes the role of what? The role of the soul. And if that ever occurs, what just happened? Well, the way of truth has been maligned. Then Peter says, because of their greed, you'll be exploited. False teachers are often after your money. That emphasis often comes up in the Word of God. By the way, that's one of the reasons that I and the rest of our pastoral staff are so glad that that we were blessed to follow the ministries of people like Pastor Good and Dr. Smith. They were early leaders in the biblical counseling movement. They very easily could have looked for ways to monetize what they were doing. Now, for those of you who knew Pastor Good or knew Dr. Smith personally, do you think one of them ever one time used the word monetize? Did they ever look for ways to personally benefit financially from what they were doing? Not on your life. Not on your life. In fact, some other people used to look at the way they functioned. You're constantly giving away the farm. You're constantly giving away the farm. And that's the way they were. Some of you, if you remember the very early days of what we now call the Biblical Counseling Training Conference in February, you remember what it used to be called? Back in the old days, it used to be called the Missionary Training Conference, and there was a reason for that. But um, it was very small in, in those early days. But Pastor Good insisted that the lunches that we serve in those early days were full lunches. I'm talking about big boy lunches. I'm not talking about a sandwich. I'm talking about a full, full-on lunch. Do you know why that was so important to him? He knew that many of the pastors and wives and missionaries and wives who were coming to that conference were very um, strained financially and may not have money to head out to restaurants during the other meals, and he wanted to be absolutely certain that those dear servants of God got a full, full lunch, so at least they had one excellent meal each day while they were here at this conference. And it didn't matter how much it cost. Now, by the way, I'm not lobbying for bigger lunches at the BCTC. That's not my point. My point is, praise God for leaders like that. They weren't trying to figure out ways to get money from people in return for the teaching that they were offering. It was exactly, this, it was exactly the opposite. That's one of the ways to tell that someone's teaching is true. Now, one more emphasis that flows out of this passage. The guy who speaks next week, and I didn't even look to see who that is, by the way, but I'm sure he'll be shorter. But, but, but anyway, so nicer and shorter. But it's interesting. You, you have to say this, too. To, to be grieved about the future of false teachers, they're, they're bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So Peter's not just concerned about false teaching. He's concerned about the consequences of being a false teacher. He cares about them, too. Their judgment is not idle. 
Jesus Christ loves his church too much to allow it to be idle. Their, their destruction is, is not asleep. In other words, their days are numbered. Perhaps this is why the Apostle Paul said this, Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If... Perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. That's what you're hoping will happen with a false teacher. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Well, what are some positive takeaways from what we've been studying this morning? Well, I would encourage all of us to seek to be a Berean. Regardless of what pastor is speaking, even what I've been saying to you this morning, thank you for your careful attention. No rotten tomatoes have been thrown, so so thank you for that. But now think this through and search the Scripture to see what I said, what I prophesied today, understanding that aspect of the prophetic work is true. Secondly, grow in your understanding of biblical truth and theology. Those website summaries of the books I mentioned this morning could be read in, in minutes. Greg Gifford's paper could be read in 20 minutes. The books are going to take longer. But, but to grow in your understanding of, of biblical truth and theology. Thirdly, expose your family to solid biblical teaching and resources. I'm so glad for the families around here who said, listen, here's what our schedule is going to be. Our kids and our family is going to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. And we're going to make ourselves available to as much solid biblical teaching throughout the week as we possibly can because I want to help my children be in the best position where as they grow, they can, they can spot false teaching and reject it from their own hearts. So expose your family to solid biblical teaching and resources and then promote and support theological education. I'm so glad for our seminary here. I'm glad for the work that Pastor Oakwood and Pastor Green have done along with others What are we trying to do? We're trying to train students to be theologically astute. And I'm so very glad it's been a sacrificial work by Pastor Oakland and Pastor Green um, to make that happen. Praise God for that. We also have a policy here, I don't know if you know this, that if any of our pastors want to receive advanced degrees, we will pay for them because we want our staff to be as astute as they possibly can. Friends, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, and their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, these are heavy verses. They're they're heavy verses, but we need them. We need them because you are a holy God, as we sang about earlier. And Lord, I thank you for the many in this room who, who take this challenge seriously. They've done that with their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us from false teaching, and would you help us to be men and women of discernment. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.